0: Well, it's very good to be here with you today. You folks have had some kind of week. You know, I, I, I know how much you need a pastor, too, because the interim pastor, he's here with you. The storm comes, and we hightail it out of town to go back to Atlanta and leave it all with you. We did get a little taste of it on Friday night, 10 o'clock, when Delta called, said they canceled our flight to Shreveport because the airport was shut down. So, thankfully, we were able to fly into Dallas uh, yesterday and get here about 10 o'clock last night. But I want you to know, Paul Coleman was the most appreciative because I texted him and said, Get ready, man. We may not make it on Sunday morning. So, do a little preview of Genesis 3, what we're talking about. Now, I realize many of you may not have been a part of this first series of the new year from Genesis 1, 2, and 3 called Beginnings. So, let me give you a quick review of what is, has what, what is transpired in this series. Number one, in Genesis 1 verses one through three, we saw in the beginning God, and God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the triune God, the Trinity, right there in the first three verses of Scripture. And then the second message, we saw how it just makes more sense to understand God is the creator versus evolution and that all that we see in life in the universe and on earth just happened by chance. And we studied all of Genesis 1. Then in the beginning of Genesis 2, we talked about the balance of work and rest. As God took a Sabbath, we need balance in our life between work and rest. And then in Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17, Paul took you through a message looking at the Garden of Eden and all the freedom in the Garden of Eden. But just a warning, a warning from God about one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Adam was not to eat from. Then in Genesis 2, 18 through 25, last Sunday, we looked at marriage, and we looked at the very first marriage, and the very first wedding, and we saw the only perfect marriage in all of history. And we learned from that the signs of a healthy marriage for today. But what went wrong? Man had a perfect marriage. What went wrong? today we see what happened so I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Genesis 3 and if you're using your phone for your Bible turn on your Bible now to Genesis 3 we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 but we're going to be studying verses 1 through 19 to understand what occurred now if you're joining us online hope you'll turn to the scriptures now and those of you in the room if you'll stand now to honor God for the reading of his word in Genesis 3 verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field from which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden, And the woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you shall die. And the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Father, we thank you for this scripture because this scripture explains everything about the struggles in our lives and the difficulties in our world today and father we pray that you'll speak to us and that our eyes will be open and that we will see your word and believe your word and understand your word and most of all apply your word to our everyday life and lord as always when we look in the old covenant May we most of all understand this through the person of Jesus Christ. For it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. Last Sunday on Valentine's Day, we looked at the perfect marriage and that perfect marriage went bad. What happened? Well, the answer is found right here in Genesis 3. Original sin led to some very serious consequences that all of us are dealing with to this very day. So let's seek to understand what happened. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now, I can't think of a more perfect species of God's creation than the snake, For the devil to choose, I hate snakes. I hate them. I'm afraid of poisonous snakes and non poisonous snakes. I'm afraid of big snakes and little bitty snakes. I've been known to be out running and see about a six inch garter snake crushed by a car, dead on the side of the road, and jump three feet in the air when I see them. I don't like snakes. I want you to see this picture when I was hunting in South Texas years ago the guy that was hosting us, he jumped out of the truck when this huge rattlesnake was crossing the dirt road where we were riding, chopped the head off that thing. He said, Brian, I want you to hold this. Well, I had no interest in that. Especially when they threw that dead snake without a head on the back of the truck where we were, where we were. And to show you how evil those things are, it had no head. But when the truck stopped a couple times, that snake where its head used to be just went down off the side of the truck and touched the ground and came back up it was dead it gave me the heebie-jeebies so finally we got back to where the lodge was and he said you need to hold this snake we need to to get a picture well I want you to know I was literally about to throw up I was just so I mean just gave me the heebie-jeebies I don't like snakes some of you may relate the devil picked the perfect species to inhabit now understand this about the devil somewhere between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, the devil fell from heaven. Why? Because in his pride and arrogance, he wanted to usurp God. He was envious of the statue of God. He wanted to usurp God. He felt like he was better than God. And a third of the angels of heaven joined him in a rebellion. You now call them demons. And God cast them out of heaven So somewhere after when God says all of creation including all the angels it was good in Genesis 1 sometime leading up to Genesis 3 we see this rebellion in heaven and now the devil is roaming on the earth and he approaches Eve when she is alone in the garden. Look at verse 1 again for this reason a man shall leave his uh, excuse me Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, he comes to Eve when she is alone. That's a vulnerable time. And he raises doubts about the Word of God. And he just kind of comes up and says, Now, did God really say this? And when he raises the question about God, he misquotes God. Note what is said here in verse, verse one. "Indeed as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Well, folks, that's not what God said. Look at Genesis 2:17 in his command to Adam before Eve was created. "But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die." So what the devil does is he sounds like he's quoting Scripture. But he misquotes scripture and you will find that time and again some false prophet some false teacher will appear to be quoting scripture but it's twisted around it's not exactly what he says and that's what the devil is doing and in the process he is sowing seeds of doubt about the word of god now listen everyone are you listening you can count on the fact that when it comes to facing the temptations that the devil puts before you you're going to find someone casting doubts about the trustworthiness of the Word of God. Just count on it. Why is it that so many of us, when we go off to college, thinking we're on the right track, and then all of a sudden we start hearing all these profs undermining, questioning the Word of God. Then all of a sudden, well, if that's not trustworthy, I think I'll just do what I think I want to do. And you see it over and over again. The undermining of the Word of God. You know, as I pray for you and finding your, your, your new pastor here, I am praying it will not only be a man after God's own heart that is in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, but most of all, he will uphold the Word of God. Because the devil is always seeking to undermine the Word of God, and it kind of softens us up to begin to question whether what God has told us is right or wrong. And we see that here. So Eve makes a mistake. She doesn't realize the mistake because she's innocent. She's not a sinner. She's never seen evil. She doesn't know anything about sin, but she starts to argue with the devil. That's always a lost cause. He's a lot smarter than you. I know some of you can't believe that, but he is. He's a lot smarter than anybody here. And you begin to argue with the devil. You're not going to win an argument with the devil, but that's what she tries to do. Verse 2 the woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you shall die now she's basically correcting the devil and she's saying look God didn't say that but if you'll note what God said to Adam in Genesis 2 17 he never said that they could not touch the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil so Adam, this is the danger of second-hand religion and second-hand understanding of the Word of God. Those people who, when you ask them about their faith, they start talking about their parents and their dedication or their grandparents and their dedication. That's a signal. That person doesn't get it. They're living with second-hand religion, second-hand understanding of the Word of God. And so she quotes what probably Adam has said to her because Adam doesn't want her to fall into sin. And so he didn't just say what God says about not eating of the fruit. He says, even if you touch it, you'll die. God never said you couldn't touch it. And listen now, this is the danger of legalism. You see, man-made legalism is often done by religious people who don't want people to ignore the Word of God. So they add on man-made legalism about what you shouldn't do rather than trusting that the Word of God is sufficient. We don't need to add to the Word of God with man-made legalism. Trust the Word of God. But Adam added to the Word of God and said, even if you touch it, you'll die. Well, that wasn't true. Well, look at what the devil says in verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows it, in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, look at, the, look at the pattern here of what the devil is doing, why he's so insidious. First of all, he just raises doubts about what the Word of God says. Just raises doubts. Now he comes out and says, look, God is a liar. Now he's much more bold. God's lied to you. And then he questions the character of God. Said, so, look, the reason God has given you this one rule in the Garden of Eden is because he doesn't want you to be like him. He kind of paints the character of God as just an insecure old man. And he basically is saying that God is lied. And so now, as the devil has gotten bolder with Eve, she begins to wonder. And look at what happens in verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw and it was a delight to the eyes it looked real good and the tree was desirable to make one wise so enticing she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband and he with her and he ate now I want you to look at the anatomy of original sin first of all the look was that a sin no but then it looked real good was that a sin no but then it looked real desirable was that a sin no listen everybody temptation is not sin Hebrews is very clear Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted but he did not sin temptation is not sin it's when we give into the temptation that we sin. And yet you see the process here and where it begins to be so dangerous when we begin to flirt with temptation. She looked. It looked so good. Then she began to desire it. And then she took. And she ate. She sinned. I want you to listen to the incredible words of John Milton in Paradise Lost, probably the greatest poem ever written. And I quote, Her rash hand in evil hour, forth reaching to fruit, she plucked, she ate greedily, she gorged without restraint and knew not she was eating death. Oh, what powerful words. And then, what's the first thing she did? Well, think about it, teenagers, think about it, at your parties, teenagers, people starting to do things they're not supposed to do. And when they do, what's the first thing that teenager wants to do? He wants or she wants others to do it with him. Why? Because you don't feel as guilty if others join with you. So the moment she took and she ate, the first thing she does is she goes to Adam. She wants him to join in. And he does. Question, question. Did the devil go to Eve first because Eve was weaker than Adam? Men. Don't come to that conclusion. The reason he went to Eve first is he knew that's how he could get to Adam. Now listen very carefully. The toughest temptations in life will usually come through the person you love the most and the person who loves you the most. You don't believe it? When Jesus was telling his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to go to the cross, Peter began to rebuke him and said, Jesus, don't talk like that. And what did Jesus say? Peter, get behind me, you Satan. Peter loved Jesus. Jesus loved Peter. Peter didn't want Jesus talking about dying. You see, very often in life, the toughest temptations come through the person you love the most and the person who loves you the most. And that's why it's so important for a Christian to marry a Christian because with our sin nature, it's going to be tough enough to be faithful to God. We need a spouse that's going to encourage us to stay faithful to God, not urging us to give in to temptation when temptation comes along. It's a very great responsibility for those of us in marriage to remember the influence for good or bad we can have on our spouse because after all, if life's not working out good and your spouse is getting unfairly treated... And you don't like that because you love your spouse? Very tempting to tempt them to compromise and respond in a way that is not of God. And we see that here with Eve and Adam. The devil knew that he could get to Adam because Adam loved Eve. And he wanted to please Eve. It was all part of his strategy because he's a whole lot smarter than any of us. And so look at what happened. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they both knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now, folks, we're beginning now to see the consequences of original sin. The first thing that we see evident that begins to occur in verse 7 is they felt guilt and shame now understand this can you imagine this all of us because we have done things wrong all of us know what it's like to feel guilty and to feel ashamed all of us do but this is the first time in the history of man that man and woman felt guilt and shame and so in the process of feeling guilt and shame what did they do they tried to cover up their nakedness now what was wrong with their nakedness nothing we talked about it last sunday they were buck naked and unashamed no problem But here's the problem now. Everybody, are you listening? Are you listening? Now they began to look at one another differently. They looked at one another differently. They looked at one another selfishly rather than lovingly. And everything was different. So they tried to cover up. Hey, is that a classic response to sin, to cover it up? The first cover-up occurs right here in Genesis 3:7, But that is not all. There are many other consequences. Let's look. Verse 8. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God from the trees of the garden. Now this is a theophany. This is the pre-incarnate appearance of God here on earth before the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ, supernaturally conceived in the virgin's womb. But here God is pursuing them in the garden. God is reaching out to them. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now look at this passage. This tells us so much about what occurs when you and I sin. Not only is there guilt and shame, but now Adam and Eve run and try to hide from God. You know when our oldest granddaughter was about three years old she liked to play hide and seek when they would come and visit ann and me at our house and she would say gee daddy close your eyes i'm gonna go hide so i i would cover my eyes and then i would open my eyes and she was sitting right there under the dining room table i mean it was very obvious i could see her but she thought she was hidden well that's a picture of what it's like when you and i try to run and hide from god it's so silly he sees everything it's just like our little granddaughter thinking they could she could hide that's so silly God sees everything and understand this about God now listen are you listening when God and God in the person of Jesus ask a question it's not because he doesn't know the answer God always knows the answer but he raises the question because he's given Adam and Eve an opportunity to confess He's raising the questions and what do they do just like you and I tend to do when we fall into sin deny 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 and God gets more and more specific finally at the end he said did you eat of the fruit of the tree I told you not to eat man says nothing As we look at this anatomy of original sin, we very clearly see how we and all of mankind tends to respond when we turn away from God and put our trust in ourselves. Think about think about the motivation y'all of Eve when this temptation came. It's the same kind of motivation we have in our hearts when we look at the world around us and people out there raising hell and doing all kinds of things that that we know are wrong and they just seem to be so happy and having such a great time and we think you know this God's way I'm missing out I'm missing out on all the fun and so we buy into the lie of the evil one as he undermines the word of God of what is true and right and then we begin to have to experience all these negative consequences in our lives because we bought into the lie god's asking them questions you know where are you well he knows where they are and they said well I, we were afraid of you obviously they're afraid they have fear of god because they think god is going to now reject them which god could do it would be the just thing to do and then god said look i was afraid because i was in, uh, they say i was afraid because i was naked well they knew they were naked before but they are looking at one another differently And so God asked a specific question, and they did not respond. Then we see the curses of God, more consequences. Now let's look at this beginning in verse 12. When God asked Adam, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. Now is this a classic response? He is, not, he is not just blaming Eve. He's blaming God. He's blaming God for giving him that woman. God, if you hadn't given me this woman, I would have never eaten of that fruit. He's blaming God for his own sinfulness. But that's not all. Look at Eve's response. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, folks, if this is the classic response to our sinfulness, it is the blame game and it is the victimization mindset. We want to blame somebody else for our falling into sin. And yes, the devil may have used somebody else to tempt us to fall into sin, but it is not their fault that we have fallen into sin, it is our fault. And the mindset of the victimization mindset, the man blames God and he blames the woman. The woman blames the serpent. We are living in a culture in the United States that is eaten up with a victimization mindset. It is always somebody else's fault. One ethnic group blames another ethnic group. And that goes both ways. Not one way, both ways. You've got Republicans blaming Democrats. You've got conservatives blaming liberals. You've got people in the church blaming people outside the church. People outside the church blaming people inside the church. We live in a culture that is eaten up with a victimization mindset. It's somebody else to blame when we need to be looking in the mirror. That's where we need to begin. Looking in the mirror at our life, in our heart, and the ways we've fallen short. But in the very first sin, we see the blame game occur. So God brings down his curses. First of all, verse 14, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed to you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your be- belly you will go-, go, the dust you will eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel well the first curse is for the serpent evidently the serpent could walk around on its tail i don't know how it happened i can't explain it but now gonna crawl on its belly gonna eat dust day in and day out not only that there's gonna be a natural enmity this you, you understand why i hate snakes it's right here right here in genesis god put enmity between the snake and the man got a biblical reason for it right there and, and, and the snake will be snapping at the heel of the man the man will be stopping on the head of the snake look at what God says there he's telling and explaining about that but then three curses for the woman look at verse 16 to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth and pain you will bring forth children curse number one two yet your desire will be for your husband curse number two and he will rule over you curse number three now let's look at this first of all the pain in childbirth y'all this didn't hit ann and me until i've told you about how Anne loves her pet dogs and we had schnauzers for years and the first schnauzer we had ann had it bred with another dog dog had puppies and while we were sitting there in the whelping box with that mama dog giving birth to those little puppies you know what it never cried. It never screamed like a woman would scream. It never started cussing like a sailor like some of you godly women did on the way to the hospital. I mean, it just, there was just some heavy breathing. That's all. And we realize, you know, the curse to the female is not for the animal kingdom, it's for humans only. How about that? You say, well, I've seen animals in agony. Well, that's when there's a problem because we live in a fallen world, and there's going to be some problems. But normally, there's no pain with the animal. It's just the human females. And then to complicate that, the woman's going to have an extra desire for the man, not only sexually, that's part of it, but romantically for the man to meet needs in her life that only God can meet. Think about it. Last Sunday when we were talking about marriage, it was Valentine's Day. And what happens every Valentine's Day with Hollywood? They bring out all these chick flicks. Now you say, well, we couldn't go to the movie theater. That's right, but you probably pulled it up on Netflix. Probably your wife or your girlfriend got you to pull up her favorite chick flick. And what's the theme in the chick flicks? This theme that there's some situation where that man is going to be totally focused on you totally focused on you and women i want you to have your eyes open it will never happen in the history of earth never i know hollywood say oh yeah you find the right one he's going to be totally focused on you and you love those chick flicks because that's the that's the picture that's presented. because there's that longing for his undivided attention because you're looking for him to meet deep needs in your life that only god can meet it's a misguided trust It's a lack of realism. And not only that, we see that he will rule over you. Now, listen carefully, men. Listen carefully. Don't justify your sin nature in ruling over your wife and being dictatorial and authoritarian with your wife. That is not what God had in mind. He does call on the man to be the spiritual leader in the home. And if you want to read how to lead, go to Ephesians 5 on Christian marriage. We're to lead like Jesus leads the church. We're to be a servant leader with our wives. We're not to be a dictator. We're not to rule over them. When God created Eve, it was to compliment the man, not so that he could rule over her. But think about how, in culture after culture all around the world, in religion after religion, you see men ruling over their wives, and very often the religion justifies it. But that's not what God originally had in mind. That is part of the curse of sin that goes all the way back to original sin, as we see these three curses that occur with the woman. But what about the man? Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now Don't make the mistake of misquoting scripture and saying that work is part of the curse of man's sin. Look, work was given to Adam long before Adam sinned, and work was good, and it was fulfilling, and it was rewarding, and it was always fruitful. But now, because God cursed the ground, work is gonna be hard. And the man, having that inner sense, almost an intuitive feeling that a man has that he wants to provide for his family, because there are times of famine there's times of economic difficulty there are recessions there are depressions there are all kind of difficulties there are big storms that come up because of that work is not always going to be fruitful and the man worried that he can't provide for his family deals with deep anxiety and fear if he can't provide for his family and so very often work becomes an obsession for the man and men become workaholics why because there's this innate fear that they can't provide all they're supposed to provide for their family and so you see the tension between the sexes that occurs the woman has this greater longing for the man warning his attention and he has got this great anxiety and fear that he can't provide for his family with his work and so all of a sudden the tension between the sexes between the husband and wife it begins to arise right here as a consequence of original sin. We don't have time to read further, but we also see that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. That's a pretty severe consequence. When they had the perfect place to live, lived in a paradise, everything was great. So they lose all that. And on top of that, we see that when they give birth to two boys, Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel. So in the very first family, in the next generation, just one generation removed, we see one brother murdering another brother. It's pretty sobering the consequences of sin everybody are you listening are you listening understand this that because man sinned man deserved the judgment of God man has done the one thing that God has commanded man not to do with all the blessings that God has given him and so does God judge man and put man to death because of this no he does not So what is it that God wants us to learn today as we look at the original sin that explains so much of the difficulties in our world, in marriages, in relationships between men and women, in our relationships with our fellow man? What is it that God wants us to know? Well, for one thing, in Genesis 3.15, turn back to Genesis 3.15, when God talks about the curse on the snake, He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed he shall bruise you on the head you shall bruise him on the heel this is the first listen are you listening it's the first prophecy of the cross right here in genesis 3:15 you say how can that be well i want you to watch this scene in the passion of the christ mel gibson's passion of the christ because this scene reveals such deep theological insight that very often we overlook at the time of greatest spiritual warfare in Jesus' life was at Gethsemane. And yes, he was willing to say, not my will, but your will, because he was struggling with the agony and the terrors and the raw fear of the cross. He had seen crucifixions along the side of the road. He's struggling with all that. And we often forget that this is where the devil was tempting him the most not to follow through on the will of God for which he was sent. Watch this scene. It's powerful. That's the devil. It's fainting I did the eye. not, and many? young Realized what was happening in the richness of this theological insight that's artistic license i realized but this was the toughest time of spiritual warfare in the life of jesus even tougher than that 40 days in the wilderness when he faced those temptations and made that decision to go to the cross then because what the devil was trying to do in the agony of fear and terror that jesus was going through on that night before the cross was to get him to disobey his father's will And the stomping on the head of the snake prophesied right here in Genesis 315 reminds us Jesus went to the cross to provide a mortal blow to the evil one so that when you and I come to acknowledge our sin and our need for a savior and realize that Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we should pay then we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be saved from our sin and made right with God, not because we are, but because of what Jesus has done and who he is. Now, everybody listen. Everybody listen. Don't miss this. This is vitally important to understand if you're going to understand anything about why Jesus came in light of this knowledge you receive today on original sin nothing is more important than that this is all about salvation from the sin that poisons us and kills us from within but that's not all in this passage in genesis 20 verse 21 it says the lord god made garments of skin for adam and his wife and clothed them this is the first time that animals are sacrificed or killed in light of man's sin And God gives a temporary covering to them. And understand this, this is the beginning of seeing what unfolds as God commands man to sacrifice animals to pay the penalty of death for man's sin, to vicariously die in the place of man, to to make atonement. But it's all temporary. And Jesus comes... To be the ultimate and final sacrifice giving his life so that we don't need animal sacrifices to cover our sin Jesus shed blood on the cross covers and cleanses us of sin so that we are made right with God but that is not all we also see that we have to deal with the question Jesus that the devil raised was the devil right when he said they wouldn't die was he right no listen when you and I sin we instantly die spiritually we are instantly separated from God so often we just look at the physical and the material the things we can see but there was a spiritual dynamic that is most important when Adam and Eve sinned and the moment they disobeyed God they spiritually died and were separated from God and then began the slow process of physical death that always results in all of our lives because of our sin. Always. So the devil was lying because he was telling the half-truth. They didn't physically die at that moment, but they spiritually died immediately. And the slow process of physical death occurred, and all of you who know what it's like to have a loved one to die... You see the consequences of sin every time death occurs. It's the consequences of sin. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins and made right with God. And then Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I can be saved not only from physical death, we can be saved from spiritual death in hell forever separated from God. And that is glorious. That is glorious. That is why the gospel is such good news. Because in spite of all of us giving in to our sin nature that begins all the way back with Adam and Eve, despite the fact that all of us are poisoned by the terminal spiritual illness of sin, Christ has come and he has paid the penalty for our sin so we can be forgiven and made right with god and not only that he has conquered sin and death so that you and i will be victorious as well when it comes to sin and death because of jesus so for those of you joining us by live video feed those of you that are here in person if you're one of those classic cultural christians that think you're a christian because you believe what the bible says about jesus but you've never really received Jesus by acknowledging that your sinfulness has separated you from God and you're going to spend eternity separated from God unless you claim what only Jesus can do for you. And that is salvation from sin. That is the victory over sin and death through the gift of eternal life, through receiving the person of Christ. May this be the day when we look at the passage that really explains everything about the struggles of our life and the struggles of our world may you be sure that you have received Christ and realize the incredible love and grace of God that in spite of the fact that all of us not only inherited a sin nature like Adam and Eve but choose to give in to our sin nature that God still loves us enough to send us his son so we can receive forgiveness and be made right with God and receive eternal life. Don't miss out on this. It's the greatest of all gifts. Let's pray. Father God, there are bound to be people joining us online or here in person that realize that, uh, you know, The word of God is speaking about me this is this is describing me this is explaining it all and I've been confused I thought I was a Christian because I was born in a Christian home I thought I was Christian because I believe what the Bible says and yet I realize I've never really come to confess my sin and realize that because of my sin I deserve your judgment I deserve damnation but in light of that you sent your son to pay the penalty for my sin and to rise from the dead to conquer sin and death, and I realize today I need Jesus. Oh, Lord, for that person that realizes under the conviction of your Holy Spirit right now that they need to receive with sureness this victory over sin, this victory over death that comes through Jesus, may they come to you and say, Lord, forgive me. I now claim Christ. I invite Christ into my heart and life. I want to receive this wonderful gift of forgiveness and eternal life today. Oh Lord, may it be. And Father, for those who have received this gift, as we look at Genesis 3 today and our eyes and our minds are open and reminded again of why we struggle so much personally, why the world is such a mess. Oh, Lord, may you give us a renewed gratitude for Jesus and your love for us and the salvation you've given us and the fact that you didn't give up on us, but offer us your grace and abundant eternal life in Jesus. Oh, Lord, thank you for that reminder today. For we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.